0: 70 WAMD Aberdeen and this is the Harford Edge keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I am co-host Christy Halford, Foundation Director of the Harford County Public Library and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Good morning Bob.
1: Good morning Christy. Can we have 10 more seconds of um, Booker T? Good morning.
0: Good morning.
1: All the school buses.
0: As usual. As
1: usual. We're on my route to the studio today. And the last one, the last hurdle, is one that I am behind for four stops, including a stop that is eight feet before my turn onto High Up Lane. <laughs> and this little girl takes forever to board the bus. She's very cute, but she's always got a go back and ask her father a question, and then, and then
0: skip over,
1: Skip over. then she, her father notices her backpack is not zipped up, so you can't get, you can't get, you can't get angry, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Today we have Senator, State Senator J.B. Jennings to <clears> talk <throat> about the legislative session and other issues facing us, but now it's time for education and trivia, and we'll start with some attempts to stump Bob.
1: Good but not too successful attempts not very successful attempts
0: okay what was the family name of circus showman al alfred john otto and charles
1: um um wow it's not the uh, No. the circus
0: the family name of circus showman al alfred john otto and charles barnum Nope. Bailey.
1: Nope. Um, I know I'm going to be really annoyed when I, when I find out what this is.
0: <laughs> Ringling.
1: <sighs>
0: <laughs> I think people forget about Ringling. They think Barnum and Bailey, but well,
1: PT Barnum, he yes. negotiated that, that when they did it, it was Barnum and Bailey and Ringling brothers.
0: Right.
1: Tucker every minute. That was his, uh, <laughs> that was his slogan. <laughs> Now, I don't know why you would do a deal with a guy whose slogan was, there's a song, sucker board every night. Right, minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's sort of giving you advance warning.
0: Right. Uh, number two, at age 17, who played the title showgirl in The Bachelor and the Bobby soccer, Soxer?
1: Oh, I, uh, Audrey Hepburn. No. Um, Marilyn Monroe. No. Um,
0: the Bachelor was Cary Grant.
1: Um.
0: 1947.
1: Um, Debbie Reynolds. Nope. Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor. This is going to kill me too. Uh-huh. Um uh, Sandra D.
0: No. Well, good guess. She has ringlets, little ringlets. Huh? She has curly hair.
1: Um Shirley Temple. Yep. Oh, very interesting. Boy, I'm stinking it up today. <laughs>
0: You should get this one though. Mallard and Roddy are species of what bird? Duck. Yeah. Oh,
1: See that's
0: an on. easy one. Who sang the nineteen seventy-nine song Family Tradition?
1: Um, well, um I, I, kd Lang redid it in nineteen ninety two and it was beautiful. Uh, mm, Willie Nelson. No. Johnny Cash. No. Um Loretta Lynn. No. Tammy Wynette. No. Country?
0: Yes. It's a man.
1: Uh, one of those guys.
0: Hank Williams Jr.
1: Okay. You know what it's about?
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember it. I've heard it many, many times. H-
1: hitting Your Child.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Now I'm going to go back and listen to it. It's, Pay attention um, next time.
1: Listened, everyone out there, listen to Katie Lang's version of it on her CD absolute torch and twang it is the top one of the top 25 albums of all time i guarantee you and that is one of the most powerful Hmm. songs on it kd lang absolute torch and twang
0: i had no idea that she she covered that
1: oh she was she's really something she thought she was um she thinks or thought she was patsy klein reincarnated that's why her band was the recliners
0: See? We're giving you more I'm useless learning. information. Yeah. Who founded the American Red Cross?
1: Uh, Clara Barton.
0: Correct. What war? It would be the Civil War.
1: Correct. And who founded um, the International? Oh. I don't know. Florence Nightingale.
0: Oh, right, yeah. What war? That was before the Civil War.
1: Crimean War. Right. See, I'm trying to make up for that. I didn't know Shirley Temple by giving you all this other useless info. It's really
0: do you watch this have you seen the show Mercy Street on PBS? No. It's based in the Civil War and it's really interesting to, to watch the medical how the medical practices how those hospitals oh. were run and like and the women and the what they had to do. It was really amazing.
1: Uh, there is a great amazing but very um i guess disturbing but really interesting book about the the business of death in the civil war because so many people died in this four year period uh um you know over 500,000 or over 400,000 people and all of them died away from home
0: right
1: um so you can imagine the logistics, not only of the sanitary and the public health, but the, certainly the, the grieving and the, the communication, without
0: the communication, was
1: just... it's it's fascinating how 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 they were able to manage uh, such a vast network of uh, of of components without any real um, you know with no email. Right,
0: right. Do we have time for one more? Sure. What part of the cinnamon tree becomes the spice?
1: Oh, the bark. Yes. Ooh, that was a, I winged that one. Okay, that's very good.
0: Okay, she did a good job. Jennifer, our Jennifer Button, she did a great job with this. Well, I,
1: I think she vowed to make them harder, and I, I think I made them harder on myself, but good ones, Jennifer.
0: They were good, yes.
1: On the other end, we, um, I have to uh, mention two things. Um Someone uh, uh, wrote a, a compendium of uh, questions that national park rangers have comments they've gotten from visitors. Okay. Um, this is on the education part because obviously some people didn't know this. So um, we had no trouble finding the park entrance, but where are the exits? <laughs> <laughs> and one woman wrote, "There's too many rocks in the mountains." <laughs> And redundancies that we all use that should be avoided. True fact, prior history, added bonus, advance warning, future plans, lag behind, close proximity, end result, temper tantrum, mm-hmm. <laughs> unique individual, total abstinence, <laughs> descend down, duplicate copy, exact replica. <laughs> foreign imports, um, and past experience. And lastly, we have to do this. I I know it's crazy to do audio, although I just listened to Keith Mill do an audio of a guy calling a lacrosse high school goal, so we could do this. There was a hailstorm in Denver caused over a billion dollars in damage earlier this week. Didn't hear about it much because there was a lot of other things in the news, but I... I just want to play this just for 10 seconds. These golf, these hailstones ranged from three inches to five inches That's in amazing. diameter. Like, uh, you know, lacrosse ball to softball sized hail. And this was taken, um, did, somebody,
0: did anybody get injured? You would think, that uh, would have
1: gotten uh, no, of but there was over a billion dollars wow. in damage and it, and it destroyed. I don't know how many hundred thousand cars. Um, one point four billion dollars in damage. Wow. Um, and uh, it's it, uh, car damage was five hundred sixty million, and damage to homes was eight hundred million estimated. But I'd listen to the the depth of this. You could tell how big they are. video inside a car. The windshield has about eight holes in it. And the roof, there's pockmarks in the roof that are craters like an inch and a half deep. Anyway, I just broke a big rule of radio and played something that would potentially bore the listeners. (laughs) Did it? I hope not. (laughs) No, you're supposed to say, of course not.
0: (laughs) It's, Um, It's pretty amazing that something like that could happen i would be i know that when it hails a little bit here it's kind of scary to have that piece of ice hitting your glass so i can't imagine something that big
1: um no i i it's just we we you know we always freak out if there's any kind of hail but these out in the midwest and uh it's 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 a it's it's a normal thing for them Um, Okay, let's do some news. Uh, Then we're going to talk to uh, Senator J.B. Jennings, which uh, we are really looking um, forward to. Um, uh, All over the place on the news today, just a shout-out to Habitat for Humanity, uh, Susquehanna. They're celebrating their 100th house being built uh, at a dedication uh, ceremony on May 19th. Um, Just beautiful work this group does. Uh, one of the best things I ever did in my life, um, after, um, nine one one I lost my best friend, as you know, and I decided to do something, because it's very angering, and so I decided to build something, since something not, got knocked down, so I probably, I was there, two, two, all the days, two, three, uh, one evening and two weekend days every week for about four months, they even gave me a Bob the Builder, uh, stuffed animal that's cute and um when we gave those keys to that mom and her two kids um and the kids would show up while we were building we'd show them which room was going to be nicholas's and which room was going to be the, other, the the little girls and before we when we had just framed it out there was no even no uh plaster board on the wall or or anything it was it was it was beautiful.
0: There's something else that Habitat for Humanity does that many people might not be aware of. It's called their Restore. And it's a great way to donate your gently used household items because you don't think about people who are going into these homes typically are very low income and they may not have money to pay for things like lamps and end tables and kitchen linens. And so it's a great way to, to be able to give a little bit something extra if you can't build a home.
1: Uh, it is. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's really beautiful, and plus, you learn so much, and it gets you in shape, and you meet so many great piece, pe- people. I did my build with the Mountain Christian Church folks, which is, uh, their congregation is the size of a small city.
0: Yeah. So. It's amazing to drive when, by that complex. Uh, <laughs> right.
1: And the epicenter is them as well, but when they, you know, p- people sign up for bringing lunch. Well, when Mountain Christian people sign up for bringing lunch, it was – we, the lunch they brought to the build every day was like – we needed like five tables. So hats off to Habitat for Humanity and to the good folks at Mountain um, Christian. We have to report this. Um, it's um, – people have been making lots of comments about it. But uh, two women were charged with stealing from um, a local fire company. There's no reason to um, – um uh put put the name out there the reason we report it is because it happens all the time uh two women um a fifty six year old and her daughter thirty two year old uh were indicted april twenty fifth by a harford county grand jury and were arrested last friday for uh stealing um over uh sixty five thousand dollars from the fire company. Wow. Um, it was it was uh, over several years. It was a lot of it was related to the proceeds from the the bingo. Um, uh, from oh no, it was only June through January. Um, so this was quite um, uh, quite a large amount. So you just never know, and trust but verify. Yep. Who said that? Ronald Reagan, Um, something else you have to, um, I think where we, another news item I had to report, it's somewhat local. Um, Authorities say a man stole a minivan at a casino hotel when the driver mistook him for a valet. Um, Please say 35-year-old resident, um, Stephen Jacobs, was arrested around 7 a.m., Sunday, after officers stopped the vehicle, they say a loaded handgun was found on the floorboard. The authorities say the car had been taken Saturday, uh, shortly after the minivan's owner arrived at the site and handed Jacobs his keys. Wow. Now, <laughs> what question does he lead you to? Why does what well, doesn't this happen every day? Because yeah. you know, Jerry Seinfeld used to do this great thing about you know, you know we, we lock up our dirty gym shorts in our locker when we go take a shower, Um, you know. But, you know, we hand our $50,000 car keys to a guy in a red jacket just because he's standing in front of a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) He he talks about the different levels of security we use. Like, you go in the water in the beach, you put your wallet in your sneaker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you figure because you push it down by the toe... You know, it's like, what? what is the strategy? The thief will check the heel, see nothing, and move on. <laughs> and speaking of theft, I'm sorry we've gotten a little weird on the news today, but uh, we're going to talk about a lot of meaty news when we talk to uh, the senator. Um, a New Mexico man arrested for breaking into his mom's house mom's to steal her traditional stew won't face charges. Last week, a state district judge... The mischarges against Jonathan Carlos Ray of Albuquerque, who was charged in 2015 for the theft of his mother's pozole, which is a beautiful, like, gumbo um, uh, Mexican and southwestern dish. Uh, The judge said the only witnesses to the crime were Ray and his mother. Police said Ray was arrested after he ignored his mother's orders to stay away from her pozole, and he ran off with the holiday dish. Um According to a criminal complaint, Ray sent his mom a text message that said he wanted some of her pozole, and she told him no. Complaint <laughs> says the mother later found her gate and garage broken into, and the pot of pozole missing.
0: <laughs> no, that's a great news story.
1: <laughs> Trust but verify. That's true. <laughs>
0: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with State Senator J.B.
2: Jennings. The Harford County Public Library's Innovation Lab, located at the Abington Library, is now open to the public with hands-on training for area community members ages 6th grade and above. Through creative experiences in the Innovation Lab, you can develop new skills, resources, and products that will help to drive Harford County's economy forward. The Innovation Lab's technology includes the MarketBot Replicator 5th Generation 3D Printer, 3D creation software including MarketBot and PrinterBot, 123D Make and 123D Design, professional green screen with Studio Lightbox, and both Apple and Windows computers, all to help create your electronic video, audio, publishing, and 3D design projects. For more information or to reserve the Innovation Lab for your special project, call 410-638-3990 or visit the Abington Library at 2510 South Tollgate Road.
0: Welcome back. I'm co-host Christy Halford, director of the Hartford County Public Library Foundation, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is the Hartford Edge. We're delighted to have State Senator J.B. Jennings on the line with us. Welcome, Senator.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm always I'm always relieved, J.B., when, um, when I make the connection right, so it's good to hear your voice for several reasons. Um, and uh, we're going to start a little uh, with um, just a little bit of your bio Um and uh, you're very modest, so we're going to have to do it for you. Um, you uh, First of all, you're a University of uh, Baltimore graduate uh, with a degree in business administration. Uh, uh, you were uh, active in 4-H uh, when you were a child. You went to uh, Delaney High School. You became a volunteer firefighter with the Jacksonville Volunteer Fire Company. Um, and it, you then you ran your own... Um, you ran your own feed business, uh, you got your pilot's license, uh, you got your start in politics uh, with Bob Ehrlich as, as a staffer, um, you, um, you ran in the summer of uh, 02 Was he made a decision to uh, enter the political ring as a candidate for House of Delegates, 7th District, uh, you won the seat, um, you won it um, again in, in '06. And at the age of 34 and 08, you enlisted in the Air National Guard. and was sent off to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio to attend military basic training. Uh, you served as a loadmaster flying in the Air Force C-27 Joint Cargo Aircraft. Um, then you decided to run for the Senate, and uh, naturally you won. And um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, you became a minority leader. So... Um, not to mention all the the committees that you run and all the work you do in the community, so I don't care what they say, Senator. you're a renaissance man
3: like <laughs> uh, I just live life and enjoy it and, and you know I don't look at any roadblocks if I want to do something you do it
1: well amen uh, that's you're you're a great example um and uh, uh the last uh, thing I have is um uh, other than my two kids j b has the two cutest kids uh on the planet thank you, thank you. <laughs> and i saw Jay... my wife and i are very very fortunate we have two uh, wonderful beautiful kids i still look at them and think
3: man who?
1: <laughs>
3: i really did dad and they are cute kids
1: they really are something that first day of school one will uh is oh my daughter yeah. is just uh, uh is just awe-inspiring and then your son i saw uh you took him to the theater what play did you go to see
3: it was a uh, kids' Paw Patrol little, little uh, act. It's a cartoon that they kids like to watch on TV or Nickelodeon, and it was a live performance version. So uh, we took our like, three and a half year old to the uh, uh, Hippodrome to watch it. So uh,
1: well, that's great. It that's... was
3: his first time in the theater, and he liked it. He thought that's what we always, you know, he gets all cartoons there now.
1: Well, that's great. Congratulations uh, to you and your wife. Um, Thank you. Let's get down to uh, to, to business. Uh, the session. Um, I have. We have a number of questions about it, but why don't you just give us uh, the fifty thousand feet? Uh, how do you see it? Um, what are we? Uh, w- what are we happy so, about? So what, what? What? could have? Uh, what are you still working on? Well,
3: the session. When you're in that four-year cycle, the third year is kind of the, the year where you really get down to work uh, because all your freshmen, the new members, they, they finally they have had two years of experience. They, they start putting in their own bills, and it's the year before the election. So in the fourth year, nobody really wants to do anything controversial because they're up for re-election. So this is the year you really hit, hit the stuff hard. And it's also the year when you have a division between the executive office and the leadership of the legislature, as in party, where they're going to hit each other. So we have a Republican, Governor, Democratic legislature, and this is going to be the year that they were really going to beat Larry Hogan up, Governor Hogan up one stop. But we had something that, that stopped that. There was this, that I always refer to as a, a shiny object off to the side that caught everybody else's attention on the Democratic side where they focused on it. And that was Donald Trump. Uh, President Trump caused a lot of the members to kind of lose focus on attacking Larry Hogan. Instead, they decided to attack the president. And they put in bill after bill after bill dealing with him on giving the attorney general more power to sue the the federal government, coming up with different work groups to deal with any changes the federal government makes, for instance, anything to the ACA or anything to... uh, the, the Frank, uh, the, the big uh, banking bill that they passed back in 2008, uh, Senator, or Congressman Barney Frank put through, because uh, President Trump has talked about that. So they really were focused on that stuff, more on the federal issues than on the state. And we were talking, we kind of had to bring them back, saying, hey, let's, let's talk about Maryland state issues. We've got our federal legislators, our congressmen, and two uh, senators that can handle the federal stuff. So that really kind of changes the dynamics of this session, and you didn't see as many what I'll call bad bills get out, uh, because they were distracted. Uh, the, the one big one, in fact, I apologize to you guys, because when you called me back during the session, I was supposed to go on the air, we were in committee voting on the paid sick leave, and I couldn't leave the committee room, because, you know, it's with only 12, 11 members, you know, if I'm out, you know, we're going to lose a vote on something, so That was kind of a, if you talk about business, one of the bad bills that they did make it through was the paid sick leave bill. But other than that, it really wasn't anything major out there that I can write home about and cry and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this passed. Because it was uh, was a pretty good session.
1: uh, Let's stay on Trump for a minute. Um, I was going to ask you anyway, what is the real impact? And you came up with, obviously, an unintended consequence that was certainly uh, under our radar um, that you know it, <clears throat> his the result of was him distracting potential um, opposition's in a lot of ways Wh- what does that mean what does Trump mean to you and the other uh, Republican le- legislatures on a day-to-day basis uh, we've already covered about in in, legis- in his legislative session what about as far as votes as far as fundraising as far as Um, making it easier or harder for you? Or is it pretty much the bullets flying over your head? Well,
3: no. President Trump has made it much much tougher to be a Republican right now in politics because he is so polarizing that, you know, a lot of people look at him, he's a Republican, they don't like the Republican now, so they're yelling at me. And, you know, it's kind of you look at what happened in 2008 when President Obama was elected, they pushed the ACA, you know, the Obamacare, and you started to see the the Tea Party group movement grow. And, you know, you could see the, the nation's temperature rising, and then all of a sudden the Tea Party took took hold. And, you know, they really changed the, the, the layout of, of politics because they got active They they were working on campaigns, and we saw Congress shifted. You know, in 2010, we took back the House of Representatives. Uh, That's where we are now, I think, on the other side of the equation, meaning now the the Democratic-Liberal side is really starting to get motivated because they're mad, they don't like this guy, they're angry, and they're starting to get... uh, active. And, the, and you're seeing it with the town halls that the congressmen are having. Um, people are arguing about different things. And it's, it's becoming very heated right now. So it is tough. But, you know, like last night I, I attended two, two events and one of the questions that came up to me was about the Affordable Care Act. And they were yelling at me about voting. I said, look, that is a federal program. I have no vote on it. But here's what I'll tell you. Here's the issue. They passed an 1,100-page bill, and they've made no changes to it in seven years. You know, sometimes you got to tweak things. You know, you pass legislation, you got to – we don't ever get everything right. I mean, people build houses every day, and after they build it, they realize, you know what, we should have put a window here, or we should have put a door here. You know what, our kitchen isn't big enough. Let's expand it. That's what they needed to do with this bill. They haven't done it in seven years, so now we're at the point where these these health insurance companies are raising rates. you know blue cross and blue shields get ready to come out with one that's going to be a 50 percent increase in premiums
1: and and we're we're going to have to subsidize it so when they did the scoring of this bill back in 09 where they said it was like 20 billion to the positive could be two trillion to the negative over the first 10 years but um it does have a lot of good parts of it so I, i like your point about uh you know to the extent that um it could increase uh, price competition. It could uh, change the tort environment and the plaintiff bar environment. It can bring more uh, competition and inter, inter, interstate competition. But yes, and and so we're seeing that
3: that's what's happening. People are getting energized. They're, they're going out. So look, I, I support Donald Trump. I supported him in the campaign. Uh, I'll admit, that I think he's a bull in a china closet. Sometimes he makes it hard
1: to support him. Sometimes, doesn't he?
3: He, he does, <laughs> you know. You know the way he handled the FBI firing is you know, there's a more diplomatic way of doing it, being more of a, a executive type to do it. Um, but that's the way the guy is, you know. Unfortunately, I love the fact that he, you know, he, he pushes through what he believes and, and he, he fights for it. He was not going to let up, but. You know, the other side of the equation is. He's a guy who likes to tweet when everything. He always has to get the last word in. Um, but he had made it tough for, for us as Republicans. But you know what? I'm glad he's there.
0: Um,
3: you know, I'd much rather have him as president than, uh, than the other option was. And I think you know there's a learning curve. He'll start to, to calm down eventually and you know, if you look at it, it's been, what, 110 days now. People are starting to really get used to it, having him as president, and things are starting to calm down a little. Uh, you know, in, in another year, people will be much more relaxed. He'll, I think he'll have, have gotten his sea legs under him as president, and he'll be a little more uh, calm in, in his actions. Uh, hopefully next year's election will will be it won't be the spike that everybody's predicting of, of the Democrats coming out in force voting.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, Cause one of the, the attractive things about him was is certainly is he's not an ideologue. He's a pragmatic, he has been a successful business person and he, um, if anybody had the potential to shake things up in Washington, which everyone agrees needs shaking up, it, it was him. And I, the thought was he wasn't going to make the same mistake twice but he's done that a few times already but he's looks like he's trying to learn um speaking of him uh we, what about what was the final result of the defense of maryland act that brian Frosch, attorney general did that ever pass did it get killed that was the ability of the state to sue uh no uh,
3: it passed so here's what the, the, the way it normally it works right now in maryland is the attorney general has to go to the governor, the chief executive, to get permission to sue the federal government on any issue that affects the state of Maryland regarding the federal government. He does have uh, permission already. If there's, like, a class-action lawsuit with, for instance, the manufacturer, like I'll give you an example, like the Volkswagen issue with the diesel motors, and it was a class-action lawsuit, he had already had kind of carte blanche permission that they've had for years between the Attorney General's office and the Governor's office is that he can act on those commercial lawsuits. But when it came to, to suing the, the federal government directly, he'd have to go to the governor. So Attorney General Brian Frosch had contacted the Governor's office, supposedly, asking permission to be able to jump on some of these lawsuits. And you know, the Governor at this point said, no, let's let other states take the lead on it. But they didn't like that, and they came in with these bills. And they did a uh... – so we in Annapolis, we deal with most bills. are actually bills. It'll, if it's in the Senate, it's called Senate Bill, and you know, whatever number it has behind it, or if it's in the House, the House bill. But we also have what are called resolutions. So you'll see a Senate joint resolution or a House joint resolution. What a resolution does is it carries uh, the act of law. It can't be vetoed by the governor, but it has no money – funding sources behind it. So what they're able to do is pass a joint resolution giving the Attorney General the power in the federal government, and they listed about nine different categories. You know, everything you can imagine, which gives him pretty much unlimited access to, to sue under whatever he feels is right. And the reason they did a joint resolution is the governor can't veto it. Mm. So once they passed it, it became law. But they followed it up with a a funding bill that gave the Attorney General a million dollars a year so he could hire up to five attorneys to focus directly on these lawsuits. And the issue here in Maryland is, if you think about it, D.C. is actually in Maryland. You look at a map, it was carved out of Maryland's geography, and a lot of our our citizens here in the state are federal employees that live in Montgomery County, uh, we have a lot of state agencies, federal agencies, I keep saying state, federal agencies are actually headquartered here in the state. We actually get a lot of benefit from the federal government, and it's kind of one of those where, why are we going to get the FBI? You know, they're, they're building a new FBI headquarters. There's two states in the running, Maryland or Virginia. Both are running neck and neck, and it's kind of why are we scaring them off? You know, because we're, we're, we're going to go sue the president on every issue he does. You know, when it comes to transportation, uh, the Port of Baltimore, one of the biggest hindrances right now is what's called double stacking. That's where they can take the sea containers and stack two of them on top of each other on one rail car. They, what they're able to do is, is, is spread out the axle so that they sit lower. The issue is the double stack trailers can't make it through the uh, tunnel that comes out of Baltimore, and it's going to be a multi-billion dollar expense to uh, heighten this tunnel and and expand the tunnel, which we need to improve and and get more shipping business coming into the Port of Baltimore, which then, when you look at at the economy in Maryland, especially the Baltimore region, a lot of it starts there at the Port of Baltimore and all the residual companies that fall off of that. Well, we need the federal government's help to get there. Not environmental cleanup
1: funding, uh, uh, NIH, Fort Meade, APG, Medicaid. Yep. The list goes on.
3: So that has been our concern. Uh, Look, I have the utmost respect for Brian Frosch, the Attorney General. I served with him. You know, he really is a stand-up guy. The difference is he and I are 180 degrees opposite on our political beliefs. But he truly is a—he is a gentleman. I mean, he, he is a, a, a great guy who he does what he thinks is right. Our concern with that bill is—I I respect the attorney general now, Brian Frost, and I think he'll do a decent job. But what happens with the next guy that comes in? Right. You, know, you had a guy running against him that, if he won, you know, he would have been more of a—he'd sue on everything. And, and you know, if, if what if uh, the old attorney general that we had. Uh, doug uh gansler you know when they're trying to make a name for themselves put themselves in the paper they're going to come up with these frivolous lawsuits against the federal government which really puts our state in a bad posture
1: and certainly puts us, us as federal government. taxpayers uh at risk yeah. as well um i i guess it was a sign that you and uh, uh mr frosh have a good relationship despite your your differences that uh and tell me if this is true i saw somewhere in a report that he had walked up to a group uh, on the floor and you said to him what are you doing here you could come back for more money yeah Did actually
3: you... it was uh yeah <laughs> we, you know a lot of the legislatures in Annapolis, we all have great relationships even though i'm a republican or you're a democrat and we're 180 degree opposite on a lot of these issues we still have a personal relationship that I know that, hey, you're voting for this bill because that's what you truly believe. You know, you can't fault anybody for that if, if they're, they're really acting on their true beliefs. Lovely. It's D.C. You get to the area where they don't uh, – they really don't like each other. And it's, it's sad that politics gets that way. But in Annapolis, for the most part, we all – the majority of the senators get along. You know, when we step onto that red carpet in the Senate chamber, you know, it's game one. You know, we're going to fight like fierce competitors, and I'm not going to let up. You know, I'm going to fight to the death on an issue. But once the vote's taken, that debate's over. You know, you shake hands, good job, great debate, and you move on to the next thing. Because you and I might fight today on an issue, but tomorrow we're going to partner up and try to work together on an issue
1: and i think the good thing is that you all have a nine month time out every year (laughs) yes absence makes the heart grow fonder but but let me ask you on differences um like this um paid sick leave bill um you know a strong argument can be made uh, that uh, i don't know the number it's probably fifteen, twenty thousand 20000 small businesses in the state that have these 15 employees, and it's going to be a real expense for them. Um, the other side, if you want to be compassionate um, and provide sick leave uh, for folks, um, but do the folks that passed that bill, are they saying that it would not be an impediment to job growth in Maryland, or they're acknowledging that it is an impediment to job growth, but it's it's a, it's a... Worthy price to pay.
3: I think they're kind of down the middle on that. They they admit that it will be a little bit of an impediment. They don't. They think that we are overdramatizing. Dramatizing. I can't get the word out. We're being over-dramatic on the uh, the argument of how how much it's going to impact business. But then they're also saying that you know look, and they always go to the. The worst-case scenario, the single mother who's working two jobs, whose child is sick and has to leave work and gets fired because she left work. Look, I've been an employer. When I was a feed mill, I had employees who'd call in sick or had to take off because of a kid. You know, if, if you're going to be that type of employer that's going to fire an employee because of that, then, you know, your employees are going to go work somewhere else. They're not going to want to work for somebody like that, like that. and your, your business is going to suffer. Uh, the, the bill, when it originally came in, gave seven days of sick leave. We were able to negotiate it and, and debate it and get it down to four day, uh, sorry, five days, so it's one week. Uh, it's broken into four-hour increments, so the, the minimum you can take is a four-hour time off, so you can just say, hey, i got to take the morning off, take my kid to the doctor, or me personally has to go to the doctor. Uh It's 14 is the magic number. So if there's 14 and under employees that work for a company, it's non-paid. If it's 15 or over, they have to be compensated So it's paid. And there was a preemptive clause we put in there that no county or municipality can raise their – can come up with a higher standard. Say, like, for Hartford County can't say, hey, we want to offer six days of paid sick leave. Nope state law is five That's those you can do except for one county that's montgomery county because they already have it and they didn't want to and there's a seven days and the montgomery county legislators did not to uh buck the system and, and, and go out against their county so in 22 of the county in the counties in in, in uh, you know well 23 if you include Baltimore city it's five days, but Montgomery County does have seven days' pay time off.
1: Okay. Um, the roadkill bill, um, Governor vetoed it. Uh, it was overridden. Um, uh, yeah, talk to us for a second about that, and what is it? Um, sure. What is it going so to mean to our, our to projects going forward? So the
3: way it works now is uh, all state highway projects. We have the comprehensive uh, uh, state highway plan, where every year the Department of Transportation meets with each county. We, we meet the Harford County and the, the county council chambers. It's the state delegation, the delegates and senators, as well as the county council members and the county executive. We all sit with the Department of Transportation, and we go over the projects and say, "Hey, you know what? We want here's our priority." You know, we want to make, you know, I'll just give examples. You know, we want a 24 intersection at 24 and 95 fixed and, you know, 152 and 40. We can deal with that one next year. So we prioritize it. Then they go back and they put it all on the list, say, okay, here's the priorities for this year's funding projects. They come up with the funding and we try to move forward. Well, the legislature last year was very upset that Governor Hogan was pushing through some projects they didn't feel were high enough on the list because he was taking care of some rural counties issues that had been ignored for several years under the previous administration. So they came up with this bill that says, okay, we're going to score every project on nine different categories, everything from safety to ease of commute to environmental impact. And each category is worth 100 points.
1: Who's going to score it?
3: We'll score it. And, you know, for instance... Let's say we have a project in Harvard County. It scores at 6:45. But then Montgomery County has a project that scores at 7:50. Well, guess what? Montgomery County would have to go first.
1: Who does the scoring
3: Well, the way it would work is each county has to provide all this, this technical information, and there would be a. Uh, they, they came up with a uh, a master list of how to do it. You know, there's a scoring sheet that explains it. So it's up to each county to provide the information to the state, and then the state would score it. Uh, the, the state, you know, you provide the match metri- the, the state has the metrics t- to come up with the assessed score. Uh, but the one issue in there was that of all those different categories, one of those also included mass transit. So any project that included mass transit would get a lot more points than a regular road project because of the number of uh, people you could move on mass transit versus a roadway project and, and the cost. So what you're going to see is a lot of these projects were always going to score higher in Montgomery County and Baltimore City and Prince George's County because they have metros, you know, uh, subway systems, as well as regular bus routes. So the governor realized that this was wrong, that they were doing this. The other issue is the amount of data they have to collect Smaller counties such as Somerset or Garrett County—I mean, those are so geographically they're big counties, but the population is. I mean, there's more people who live in the town of Bel Air than the entire county of uh, Somerset. That they don't have the manpower in their their government to come up with all the data they would have to do, so they would have to hire out the third-party accounting firms to pr- put all this data together, and it was going to be. They were estimating just providing the data was going to be $6 million a year. It was going to cost this state of hiring outside firms to collect this data. So it was going to stop all road projects. So the governor vetoed the bill last year. They overloaded. But over the summer, they kind of realized that when the county municipality, counties and municipalities were getting back to the, the legislators saying, we can't compile this data. It is too much, and it's costing us too much money to, to hire outside sources to help gather it, did the legislature realize, yeah, maybe we, we shouldn't have done that. So they came in with a bill this year That what it had done is, what it did was it put a two-year moratorium on these projects or on that scoring system. It says, okay, we're not going to use the scoring system for two years. We're going to go back to the old way and we'll look at it for the next two years and see if we can come up with a better way of doing it. So... You know, it was a victory for the governor and for rural counties
1: that
3: uh, we didn't get uh, we get that
1: bill passed this year. Sort of uh, staved off the um, tyranny of the masses, at least temporarily. Yeah, two years. Um, a few quick hits. Uh, um, school construction, Havre de Grace um, uh, high school, middle high school is going to be built. Uh, but there's a, a, a little bit of a controversy on... Uh, The fact that Maryland, it costs more to build a school per per square foot per student than in um, any other state uh, um, in the country. So there's been an initiative on design, builds, which basically um, uh, adds a lot of changes to uh, from ground up, zero-based school construction and design. Um, What are your thoughts on that, and where do you think that's headed? Is it... um, to, is it going to be a legislative issue? Is it a county issue? Well, it's
3: it's a legislative issue because the legislature is the one that caused a lot of the problems. Uh, we have uh prevailing wage now on all these projects. It requires higher wages for I anybody mean, working on the school project. That has significant amount of money to the cost of the school. Environmental uh you know the way they have to build the school be energy efficient which has costs. But here in Maryland, you know, we build our schools. They're built I
1: mean they're JB, let me uh, let me interrupt oh, you for one second. Um we your last three sentences we um we barely heard. Are you going through a bad no. area or no
3: I'm actually uh in, in in a building where I'm getting bad
1: reception. So I'm back outside. That's better. That's better. Okay.
3: Uh, What I said was that, uh, you know, here in Maryland we have prevailing wage It's a legislature passed that requires higher salaries for anybody working on any state project. That includes school construction. So the cost of labor to build a school is going to be much higher than any commercial building that's being built because of the prevailing wage. We have a lot of environmental uh, impacts that go into school construction now that have to be lead certified and all these other criteria that have to be checked off the list, that it adds expenses to schools. And, is, is it true you know, that it, we're, th-
1: we're four times per square foot more expensive than Florida? Or is that... I mean, that sounds yeah, outrageous. So, is it, is it,
3: well, Florida has taken a different approach. What Florida has done is they have seen that you've got... you know we used to build we built schools that are going to last 100 years here in Maryland. Florida has looked at the business model of you can build them quick and they use the term flex building where you get them up quick and you get the kids in there and you know instead of using like I said the terrazzo flooring you use just vinyl floor and you know it's not block buildings it's it's regular uh metal two-by-four construction, and what they're able to do is they call it surge population because the, the populations will surge or go up and down depending on the uh, you know, how many kids are, are coming out of the, the – you know, neighborhoods tend to shift their right. population, their age-wise. You know, you'll have a new development. It's got all young people moving in, so for the next 10 years, you'll have a lot of young kids coming out, but eventually – that population, as they get older, they're not having any more kids. You're not having as many kids come from that community, so that school's not going to be as overcrowded. So what or what Florida does is they build these schools that – they don't build them like we built Bel Air High School or Pattersonville. You don't see that type of school now in Florida. You see stuff that's built more like a commercial building, like a uh, like a Target or a Walmart where they build a big, op, a big building, and then they go in and they just put – you know, thinner walls in it where it's quicker to go up and it's a lot less expensive. And as the population changes, they can change the, the footprint of that building.
1: Interesting. That's big
3: difference between us and them. Interesting. And also, Florida does, they'll do leasebacks where they'll go to a company that'll build a building.
1: Oh, public private? Say, hey, um,
3: you, yep. You build it, we'll lease it from you.
1: Okay. Which,
3: in some avenues, would be a smarter thing to do. I mean, we'd have schools a lot quicker here.
1: Well, you know, there's a great model. Uh, for instance, uh, a number of uh, uh, large uh, builders uh, have been able to build uh, thousands upon thousands of affordable housing unit units using government uh, grants uh, for that and tax abatements, and they've done it. With private partnerships that are able to realize um, uh, the gain from the tax benefits, but in the process, we've had some like Highland Commons in Aberdeen, some uh, six or seven uh, great affordable housing communities that are that are uh, yep. managed well. And we're not talking Section 8 or all the other uh, code words that people yep. try to use, but that's just an example of a public-private arrangement where everybody wins.
3: And the other thing is you'll see nowadays churches are stepping away from building their you know, the old style churches and they're going into you know, like vacant shopping centers. They'll take the old Kmart store and they'll completely rehab the inside of it and it looks like a, a regular church once you step inside. They're doing it for pennies on the dollar compared to uh what it would cost to uh to build it from from scratch.
1: Let me ask you about um, EMS. Uh, This certainly is in your blood. You've been in that community for 30 years. Um, Our county executive is doing something uh, that is not popular with a lot of folks, but I think it it is an act of leadership. Um, He is undergoing a study um, and adding some capabilities to the county's medical uh, uh, directors, staff, and... um, uh, and looking at more county involvement with EMS uh, resources and response. Um, quick thoughts on that.
3: When you pick up the phone and call 911, you want to make sure that the ambulance gets there and the fire truck shows up. That is the inherently governmental job that we have as, as government is to provide emergency services to people when they need it. Harvard County, you know, Been growing great, but guess what? The population is getting bigger in the county, and more more residents. And people's lives are becoming more and more hectic. I used to be a volunteer firefighter for many years. I'm not anymore because I can't keep up with all the training and certifications that are required, as well as all the requirements of making so many calls. So, becoming a being a volunteer firefighter or uh, EMS provider, it's tough. You know, you're, you're giving up a lot of your free time and, and a lot of your uh, privacy and your life to go help others. And so I'm not trying to take away from any firefighter out there that's doing it. They're doing a great job. But we just want to make sure that when you dial 911, somebody shows up. And I think we're going to have to look at some type of paid service in this county to help. Backfill where you're going to have shortcomings in the county with regards to response times. You know, I I grew up in Baltimore County where you have both a career and a volunteer system that works very well together. It's intricately designed where each station is independent. Meaning, if it's a volunteer station, it's 100% volunteer. If it's a career station, it's 100% career. And when the volunteers, you know, they call it response check. If an engine's not on the road, 90 seconds, they've already called. They've already dispatched another one so there's some measures that they need to take to ensure that, you know, when you make that call, somebody shows up. And, you know, with the size of the county that it's becoming, we're getting to that point where you have to become have a more formal organization, a chain of command, you know, have somebody at the top that, you know, who he is the chief of the county. The fire department. He's the one that's going to say, "Okay, here's how we're going to handle this, and, and put together all the uh, the uh, standard operating procedures and, and run assignments and get a little more organized." I know he's, the county executive has taken heat on it. I support him for doing it. Um, you know, I live in Harford County now, so I'm a Harford County resident. So when I call 911, it's Harford County coming for me and my family, and I want to make sure that somebody's there.
1: Uh, yeah, and the thing is, you know, no leader wants to be in a position in two years of saying, "Well, two years ago we sensed the strain on the system, um, and we had an opportunity to study it and 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 really um, address it, but we didn't, um, because we didn't want to make any waves. I mean, that's the as you said, when you call nine one one for your family, you want it to be there, so." um well said and one last quick thing uh what's going on with the uh the hotel tax i see there's uh, more of a dust up uh, this week about it is this a tempest in a teapot is it just uh is it, is it countywide wide uh, le- legislature wide delegation wide or is it just what's what's going on is it one delegate that uh,
3: it's, it's one delegate so the bill there was a we had the hotel tax enacted about three or four years ago through what's called the Burfa, the Budget Reconciliation Finan- Financing Act. It's part of the, the budget that we passed in Annapolis, which gave every county the authority to develop their own hotel tax uh, if they wanted to, to implement it. The Harford County Chamber, or uh, Council, I'm sorry, Council looked at it and said, yep, we want to implement it, so they passed it, so we now have a hotel tax this particular delegate feels that we didn't go about it the right way and wants to go back. And as she says, correct it and do it the right way so that we don't get sued or, or it doesn't cost the County money. <laughs> a lot of legislation is done that way. Uh, nobody knows why she's trying to fight it, do it that way, but we've got a hotel tax. I don't like a hotel tax, but I understand where the money's going and you know, pushing for uh, tourism in the County. And it's, you know, it's not paid by our residents. It's paid for people visiting, especially mostly in the Aberdeen area by businesses frequenting uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground. I don't know why she's doing it. It doesn't need to be done. It's kind of one of those, why are we putting ourselves through this? It's, it's just a it's a waste of time, but she is.
1: Well, well one might say that um, one of the uh, – hope for end results although it's unlikely is that aberdeen can uh, get a bigger cut of the existing tax or add a city surcharge um but um but who knows uh on that front so
3: um, well then if that's if that's the issue she should tell us that what she has told me is the reason she pushed this bill is that having it done through the burp was a long way to do it, and that she's got legal opinions that say that it is unconstitutional. Well, then somebody's got to sue us, sue the county and, and prove it. But it's the law. It was signed by the governor. You know, the, legisl- the, the council acted on it. We've been collecting the, the, the money. I, I don't know why she's doing this, because if anything, it's going to have a backfire – if a bill comes up, I could see this delegation voting, voting it down, because they want to give a tax cut to, to citizens and vote against it, the tax, you know, vote down this tax. And uh, so, I again, I'm puzzled okay. why she's doing it. Yeah, we'll see you next year what she does.
1: Well, we appreciate uh, the frankness on that. Um, we're going to ask you one final question, but I just want to remind our uh, our folks out there, you're listening to W uh WAMD970 AM the Hartford Edge and we have one more question for you JB and it might be your easiest or your hardest question and then we're uh, then we'll um let you go um what would you tell the JB Jennings who was just entering the the um the legislature in 02 or what would you tell the JB Jennings who was just entering the Maryland state senate um or the J.B. Jennings that was becoming the minority leader. What do you know now that you wish that you knew then? That's a good question.
3: Um, I think I go back to the J.B. Jennings in 2002 and tell him, which fortunately is, is something that he uh, he did do, is be yourself, be honest with people. You know, when you give your word, you keep your word. Uh, When you make a promise, you keep the promise that um, the only thing you have is your reputation. And in Annapolis, when you've got people that will say, yep, I'm going to vote for it, and then they can vote against it, nobody trusts them, nobody respects them anymore. And there was advice I was given by a a senior member, uh, John Arnick, uh, who passed away about uh, 10 years ago, great guy, but He was a family friend, and he kind of took me to dinner one night right before I took office. And that's what he told me. And I thought, well, okay, we'll see. And you know what? He was right. I would tell myself that John was right. And and thankfully, I have been. I have always been truthful with people. You know, I don't lie. When I give you my word, I, I keep it. And that's why sometimes when people ask me how I'm voting on a bill, I won't tell you because I don't want to be boxed in in case something were to change. So... I've been I tell them is, is uh, just be yourself. Don't be one of these guys that uh, tries to, to get in the, the media all the time, is trying to get on TV or in the paper for be, for doing crazy, wild things just to get on publicity. Which I'm proud of myself for being, you know, being that person has not done that. So
1: great. John Arnick said one of the wisest things I've ever heard. I happen to be present when he was uh, representing or potentially representing someone. And he asked this person, um, well, why, why did he do this? Why did this other person do this? And the person's answer was, I don't know. Maybe he, and Ornick said, stop right there. The phrase I don't know is always followed by a period. <laughs> always, <laughs> always, always followed by a period. There is no reason whatsoever that I you can give me why you should keep talking after you say the phrase I don't know.
3: <laughs> that is that is true. He was a very, very wise guy. And it truly
1: meant uh, well that's um we can't thank you enough for being on um senator jennings and uh, um, and um thanks as always for your service and for everything else that you do um for the community and for those around you and um good luck with those beautiful little kids hope you're saving for college ready <laughs> yes we are <laughs> okay right. thank you sir thanks a lot jb all right Bye-bye. we um, naturally uh, Went a little long on the interview, uh, so we're going to do um, library events, which I'm excited to hear about, um, and then we'll um, wrap it up. Let all you listeners go.
0: <laughs> we um, have something really interesting and different that we're trying at the library. It's called a story walk, and the first um, there's a few of them out right now. There's one called Daniel Finds a Poem um, in Haverty Grace, and there's one called Rainbow Story Walk. Um, in Aberdeen. And it's a great way for kids to experience a book through activity. And so some of them are taking place outside and around the buildings and in other areas of the community, and some are taking place in the buildings. So I encourage everyone to check those out. Um, and ask your local librarian um, for more information on those. I think it's really interesting. It's a fun way to get kids learning how to read and, and getting them active and in the community. Um, May 30th, Edgewood Library is having Family Night at the Library and Makerspace Creations, and you can go out and build something interesting with your family using a variety of materials. Um, They're also doing something next Wednesday, May 17th, an introduction to 3D printing. Um, So if any of you have family or or friends or kids that are interested in learning how 3D printer works, that's your chance to do that. Um, And... uh, The Abingdon Library is doing their Explorer Club Storybook Science on May 26th. Kids can come in and conduct experiments from classic children's books, including Making Spaghetti Dance. Um, As always, all of our events are available through uh, H&H, our Headlines and Happenings, which you can pick up at any branch of the library or online, hcplonline.org.
1: Fantastic. So you're gonna break last year's record with summer reading? How much it will how many?
0: We served over seventeen thousand kids last year.
1: Oh, I that's mind-boggling
0: and we did open registration so you can go into any of your branch and um or go online um and do early registration but the kickoff is actually june 19th so the official kickoff for uh summer reading challenge will take place june 19th we encourage all kids in harford county to participate we have a lot of fun activities prizes um books that you'll earn at the end um their iron birds are back so there'll be a couple of nights where you can go out in the yard and actually run the bases so it's a lot of fun for everybody
1: fantastic that's making a difference.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: HCPL.
0: And that's all the time we have for the Hartford Edge. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.